Welcome to the PK Experience. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and today I sit down with marathon runner Bill Psycholic. Bill is somebody that flew, that flew into town and stayed with me for a night before he ran a marathon here in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, Bill's been running a marathon in every single national park, which is kind of crazy, but kind of cool. He quit his job, and I was fascinated about this story. It's very inspirational. I said, dude, I got to sit down and ask you some questions. So, we sat down at the kitchen table, and uh, this is the conversation that we had. Bill's an incredible guy and uh, somebody that's just really living his truth and living um, you know, his potential and not uh, sitting in the sidelines of uh, the game of life. He's in the game, which is very inspirational. So uh, I think you're going to get a lot out of this call. So here we are with Bill Psycholic. All right, are we on? We're rolling. We're live. We're beaming <laughs> to the universe. Well, you're beaming. Yeah. Well, I thank mean, you. <laughs> you're beaming. No, thank you so much. That's because I was out in the sun all day today. Uh, <laughs> we are with Bill Silic. Psycholic. Psycholic. Sorry. You can try that again. Psychotic. <laughs> uh, what is it? Psy. Psy. And then colic. Colic. Like baby, baby's colic. Yeah. Know, or horses get it. So uh, just say what psychotic. Is what is it? Is that a... Ukrainian is Ukrainian. what they say. What, who really knows? What do you say? <laughs> I, I say Ukrainian, but <laughs> I don't really know either. Okay, so uh, I'm sitting here in my kitchen table with Bill, and uh, he's in town to run a marathon tomorrow mm-hmm. at the St. Louis Arch, which has just been, I guess, voted in as a, a national park. Yeah. Um, yeah. I should probably know that more than yeah. you, but I'll, I'll you know. explain that. There's, there's a little difference between a national park and some of the other designates so um and so you're a friend of my brother's he called me up and said hey bill's coming to town he's running a marathon can you stay at your place i said absolutely and then he said yeah he's running a marathon at every national park and i was like that's insane i gotta talk to this guy so we just had dinner and, and i've purposely not asked you a bunch of questions because i want to ask yeah. you now and not feel like we just talked about all this yeah like we said off the microphone <laughs> yeah they I could do it i just told you why yeah, are you exactly. asking me again? <laughs> um so I, you know obviously first and foremost well, why yeah. are you doing this like where did this come up i mean that's a pretty you've done how many so far uh, 51. 51 marathons. Yeah. That's crazy. So, so let me give you a little, a little background on the project. Yeah. So it's called the National Parks Marathon Project. And it's my personal life experience endeavor to run my own 26.2 miles in all 60 U.S. national parks. So when I go and do these, these are not races. This is me with a trail map and a ranger figuring out a 26.2 mile route that gets me back uh, safely and sees highlights of the national parks. So I finished, as I said, 51 of the national parks, currently all of the parks outside of Alaska and the newest national park here in St. Louis, Gateway Arch National Park. So I have nine left, eight are in Alaska and the one here in Missouri. Um, And just to give you a little idea of how uh, a new park gets formed, for those that don't know, is uh, the National Park Service, which I've learned throughout my, my, my project here, National Park Service runs 417 sites. Okay. And those compile national monuments, national battlefields, national seashores, a number of designates, and the national parks. Mm-hmm. The difference between the two is that... Um, 
All of the other designations can be created at the directive of the, of the president. So the president can sign a directive that says, I create XYZ National Monument. And as we saw in Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante in Utah, can shrink them or change size or reverse that. Mm -hmm. um, a national park actually has to be approved by Congress. Okay. And so theoretically, it takes another act of Congress to reverse or change it. So they're a little, they've got a little bit more of a permanence and a little bit more of a cachet, and that's why there's only 60 of them, and yet there's over 400 total sites. Got it. So my focus has been on um, the 60 now U.S. national parks. Uh, there are um, 48 in the lower 48 states, one in the U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, two in Hawaii, and one in American Samoa, Okay. plus the eight in Alaska. And so you've done all those except for the Alaskan ones? Alaska ones, and then tomorrow... I'll be running 1.75 mile loops around the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. Is that dude running another <coughs> lap? How many laps is that guy going? <laughs> so, um, it's funny. I did Dry Tortugas National Park, which is in Florida. I've been out there. Yeah, it's spectacular. It's a what two and a half hour ferry ride from yeah. from Key West, and um, the the only place to run there is the moat wall around the fort. So, so. For, for anybody that's listening that doesn't know what the Dry Tortugas is, is, it's a, is it a chain of islands or is mm -hmm. it just that one island? Very small islands. There's not, not a lot of, uh, of land at all, so they kind of just peek out of the water. Most of it's protected marine area. Right. They want to protect the reef. But the biggest island there is uh, home to Fort Jefferson, which is the largest brick structure in North America. Is that right? Yeah, 16 million bricks. Uh, they built it in the 1800s, early 1900s, and as can happen with um, uh, military um, armaments and, and protective uh, of uh, design, by the time they had almost finished it, the armaments had advanced so much so that brick wasn't an effective deterrent or you know protective <laughs> structure. So they never used it. Right. It became a, a like a shipping location. It became a jail for a while. But anyway, if you look at it, it looks like kind of like a castle. It actually has a moat and a drawbridge. Yeah. And around the moat wall, this is a long story, sorry about it, but around the, the moat wall is like a little walking path now. Yeah. It's six-tenths of a mile. Oh, my god! So to do a marathon on a six-tenths of a mile track, it's 44 laps. Well, you probably got dizzy. Yeah. Well, I did 22 one way. Oh, and 22 okay. the other way, just to change it up. Oh, that, makes, <laughs> yeah. that makes total common sense. But the, the <clears throat> reason that I brought that up is because people were asking me, what lap are you on? What lap are you on? And I'm, as I'm running, the, the ferry boat bringing the, the tourists was, was leaving uh, at about 3 o'clock, and they were waving to me like, hey, there's there that guy who's guy. running around in circles for hours. Um, so I vis visited out there and seen it before. Did you realize, I didn't know this, but that tiny little island, first of all, so when you take the, the, the high speed, we took a high speed ferry to go out yeah. and you know, you're out in the middle of the ocean, every direction, all of a sudden you see this little dot mm -hmm. on the horizon and it gets bigger and bigger. And yeah, the thing is, is pretty large, it's huge, you know, yeah. it, like out of nowhere, there's this freaking 18th century fort, you know, yeah. poking out of the water. Um, with massive cannons on top. Those mm -hmm. things were cool. So one of the things that I learned was if you if you controlled that one little island, uh, why that one tiny little island was so significant was because that the cannons on top of there could shoot – I'm kind of making this up, but it's yeah, something yeah. close to this. The 500-pound projectiles like five miles. Well, 
the only shipping lane that got into the entire Gulf, you could cover it from that right. tiny little island. So it was a pretty significant position. And, you know, it can, you can control the entire Gulf from that tiny little island. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah. But um, to see some of the old pictures of them putting the brick, you know, structure up yeah. in their full wool. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And it was hot. We were there. I was like, yeah. I, can't, I can't even imagine putting that thing together in full wool uh, suits or whatever. But anyway. Okay. So, but you still haven't answered, like, why oh. the national parks? What, like, yeah. Where did this come so from? The, 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 the medium length story is in um, the end of 2015. So it's been, you know, three years now, give or take. Uh, the end of 2015, I had finally decided that I was going to move to Colorado because I wanted to be closer to the mountains. And for the first time in my professional career since my leaving undergraduate school, uh, getting my degree, um, I've always moved for a job. So I've gone from job to job to job. This time I said, damn it, I'm going to move where I want to live and get a job when I get there. And it had always been a, f- a fear of not having a job. Mm. Like, would I ever get another job? Mm-hmm. How long is it going to take? How much money I have? But I saved up some money, <clears throat> and I decided, damn it, I'm going to do it. And at the end of May of 2016, my lease was up. And so I just um, uh, decided that when that was up, I was going to move to Colorado. But in addition, I was going to take another step that I never thought I was going to do, ever do, and I was going to take some time off. I was going to take three months is what I was thinking. The summer, right? Finish May, take June, July, August Mm -hmm. off, look for a job in September, get something by the end of the year. You know, that's a big step. That was surely a big step for me. Um, But I had it all, it almost seems like like a typical person in the corporate world would do. Like, that's not a too long of a break. Nobody will question it. Oh, it was just a long move you know, mm-hmm. justified it. So these are the messages going through in my mind. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and as I was thinking about what I would do during those three months off, I read that it was the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service in 2016. Mm. So they had a big promotional campaign, you know, lots of programs going on. I thought, oh, that's cool. Colorado's out west. Most of the national parks are, are out west. <clears throat> Maybe I'll visit some. And uh, that was cool, but it wasn't compelling. Like, it didn't grab me. It was like, yeah, it was cool. And I thought, well, I like to trail run. I'm a, I'm a, I, I do have a, a background in, in doing marathon running. Um, and I thought, well, why don't I tra- do some trail running in the national parks? Mm. And that was better. Mm-hmm. So it was more compelling. I'm outdoors. I'm in nature. I'm seeing these, these, these wild, undeveloped un, um, places. And I'm doing it on foot, you know, trail running. <clears throat> better, but didn't still not compelling. And so I continued to noodle on it, and I thought, well, why don't I do something hard? Why don't I run, and it's like a marathon in all, at the time, 59 U.S. national parks. And then I went, wow, that's big. I wonder if anybody's done that. Yeah. And, I, and I looked it up, and no one has done any kind of sort of distance endurance event at the national parks. Lots of people have visited all 59 yeah. and, and camped and backcountry and stuff like that, but no one's ever done any kind of running, this, like long distance running in all of them. Mm. And I was like, that's cool. That's, uh, that was big enough that I started seeing what it would take to actually do it. Um, yeah. That's pretty fascinating. So it just seemed like a, a, 
what they call a, a you're probably familiar with that term the BHAGs right the yeah BHAG the big hairy audacious yeah, goal right um, uh, that's that's pretty interesting so o- over what period of time have you been running these so so the the funny thing was because a real man would do it in sixty days yeah yeah well <laughs> the, the, I did it in sixty five days okay. no uh, <laughs> it took me a little extra yeah. no um, I. Uh, I had originally planned to take that three months off, but then I'd started doing the math and I said, um, how long can I go with the money that I have saved? Like take, a, take that next step. Like again, never thought I would take, take time off, never thought I would leave my job and, and move somewhere without a job. And, and then it started, right, okay, how much money do I have? Taking that next step to say, how long will that money last me if I do this full time? Mm-hmm. If I just do it until my money runs out. Mm-hmm. And that looked to be a little bit over a year. I said, all right, well, how many do I think I could do in a year? This has gone from, what was I taking three months off to now over a year off? Mm-hmm. It ended up being uh, 18 months. And, uh, and I'll get into that just in a second. But I, I ran 47 marathons in 54 weeks, which was all of the parks outside of um, Alaska and Hawaii. And then I took a three-month break while I started to develop some contacts in Denver, um, make some friends to start in a network. And then all of October of last year, I was in the Pacific running the two national parks in Hawaii and the one in American Samoa, which allowed me to finish off all the parks except for Alaska. And that took me, that took me 15 months and then now I guess closer to 18 months, something like that. Year so you're, what, what is that <clears throat> averaging a marathon? I was doing a marathon a week. Okay. Yeah. I was doing, when I was doing them, um, I was doing one a week. Are you running in between those or are you just resting up for the next well, one? Well, um, mostly resting up for the next one because the running kind of keeps you in shape. Yeah. Um, it would have been better for me to do maybe a couple of short runs in the, during the week just to keep loose. Yeah. And I would do day hikes because I spent about anywhere from five to seven days at every national park. Okay. Because it was more than just the running. It was to, to see and experience it. Uh, um, are you camping out at these? Are you staying with people or...? Uh, camp combination camping hostels. When people would hear about my project, I would get strangers offer to let me stay at their home. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, they either like the running aspect or they like the national park aspect or both. Okay, and so you, there are a lot of actual national park nuts out there. Oh yeah, they're called, into a few of them. They're called park nuts. <laughs> so <clears throat> it was new to me. Like I didn't know uh, this whole subculture. So I yeah I would stay with people as well, and. Um, yeah, it was about one a week, and then I didn't run in between them because I developed uh, chronic plantar fasciitis, which is the inflammation of the bottom of the foot, oh. essentially. It's not un- uncommon for some runners to get it, and it just hurt. So the more I would run, the more it would hurt. So Were you running <clears throat> them with that? I oh, mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just... You just manage it. It and... never it never got to the point where it was debilitating, which okay. I was, you know, knock on wood. Right. Um, so is I that just... Over? Are you done with that? Or? No, it's still there. Oh. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm a, one of those terrible athletes that continues to run rather than tries to rehab. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so you're... it's better. It's a lot better. Okay. So I just did a marathon last weekend, uh, the Leadville trail marathon in Leadville, Colorado. Um, and it hurt, but it wasn't again, overly painful or debilitating. And I'm going to run another marathon tomorrow and and this one will be on pavement. So it's actually a little tougher on the feet, but you know, perfectly fine. Well, I mean, you're you're pushing, you yeah. know, the human limits a little bit. I mean, yeah. 
I've heard of uh, you know ultra marathon runners or whatever. <clears throat> Who's the guy that runs a marathon a day, or he ran a marathon a day for forty days or whatever it was? Mm-hmm. Do you know who that? No. So I mean, there are it doesn't sound that bad. Yeah. Well, for you probably <laughs> not. Um, one marathon for me is, yeah. is like well, you just got to work up to it. Exactly. So I would, that was going to be one of my questions. <laughs> what? Well, you were already trail running. Did you yeah. just get right into it? Did you train? Did you... Well, I was living in New York City, so I wasn't doing a lot of trail running because there's not a lot of trails, but right. I was I was already a runner. And um, I just... I What I did is I trained as if I was going to run a marathon, and then I ran the first one in Acadia National Park in Maine, and then once you're in fit, fit for one, running one a week, just you don't going. have to continue to train necessarily. Gotcha. Uh, they're also not races... This is except me with a trail map and a ranger figuring out a route uh, that's safe, sees exciting parts of the park, and gets me back to my car wherever I started. Um, and there's no time limit, so uh, I do it all in one shot, but uh, I'm not pushing as if I was in a race. Are you walking at all on any of these? Or Yeah, there's an ultra-marathon phrase. So I've done 50K and 50-mile distances to this point. I've never run a 100-miler yet, but in the whole ultra marathon world there's the run when you can walk when you have to mm-hmm. so yeah you're not running up the hills yeah you know you, you power hike yeah you know. pussy <coughs> <coughs> yeah well you I'm know just kidding. <laughs> I, it, it, I lost my breath running up yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I'm totally teasing um well i mean it's uh you started to Get so you were just looking at your phone before this call and, yeah. and had a uh, some media contacting you. Have you gotten some some publicity and and well, let me ask you that. Yeah, uh, publicity is really interesting. So um, I had some publicity early that I got lucky because I knew someone in New York who worked for NBC News, and so I got some NBC News coverage, which helped as a um, help justify further coverage. Um, so I've got I've been on uh, news. It's television, like local television news in Denver, Portland, and Seattle. I've had a bunch of podcasts. I've had a number of uh, written press interviews. I've had a number of online articles, including um, Runner's World, where I was on the, the front page of their web presence for uh, a few days, and then the article's still there. Um, press is really interesting for the listeners. If you want press, all you have to do is ask for it. If you have an even remotely interesting story, especially local press, like your local, wherever you live, your local TV stations or TV stations in other, you know, small to medium to even large cities, you just have to reach out to them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, I, I thought it would be harder than it is, but you, do, you connect with them on Twitter or even emails through the websites. That's not quite as, as effective, but still does work. Mm-hmm. And, and you send an interesting story. And they may not get back to you right away, but you know it works. Are you? Um, do you get any sponsorships or anything like that? Or no, uh, sponsorships is a it's a that's a good one to to ask about. Um, I did ask for sponsorships. I did ac- approach some companies, and what I didn't need was gear because I was living in my car. I have a, a Subaru Impreza and I have a rooftop tent, so I was traveling around with everything I needed in my car anything that i would get for free like new gear i would have to take gear out because it just wouldn't fit mm. um and most companies would wanted to give me more gear like shoes or socks or stuff whatever um what i needed was gas money <laughs> hotel or or airbnb or ho- hostels i stayed in a fair number of hostels which 
doesn't bother me, but you still have to pay for it. Um, the companies would say we sponsor elite athletes, professional athletes, and we sponsor um, uh, events. So they where they can put their banners up and be seen on press and that. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't often spend sponsor individual pursuits, and that's what they saw mine as being. So that's fair, I guess. I mean, unless yeah. you had uh, maybe another cause that you were linked to, or <clears throat> no, that's a that's a good thing to bring up because I get asked that. Um, were you doing it to raise money? Yeah, and it started out really as a way for me to break away from living a traditional sort of consultant corporate lifestyle in New York City. Mm-hmm. So right before I, I left, I was in New York, and it wasn't. Uh, it was a little bit to to raise awareness of the hundredth anniversary of the National Park Service and continue to protect our public lands and serve as an example of something different you can do in a national park rather than just um, go to the campground and and maybe do a few day hikes. Uh, My mother took us up to see Mount Rushmore when we were kids, and it's way the heck out in the middle of nowhere, Mm -hmm. and you drive, and you drive, and you drive. And then we got out there, and we just stood there with our hands in our pockets and nodded our heads and go, I mean, what else can you do? Right. Right, so yeah, it is a little bit different to uh, to have a to have an intention. So obviously, you've done that one. Mount Rushmore is a national monument. It is oh. not a national park. Ah. that's why it's tricky. Yeah. So okay, you know, like the Washington Monument in D.C. is a national monument. It's one of the National Park Service's uh, sites. Yeah. But it's not a national not park. Technically, a national park. That's Got it. and the and the National Park Service confuses people because they call them all national parks. Okay. So that doesn't help. They don't make a distinction, but but technically under the law, there are they are different. Okay. So, um, uh, but I have been in that when I was out in the Dakotas. I, yeah. We we did take a side trip. It's to amazing go. to see. Yeah. If, I mean, if, if you haven't been to, it's remarkable. You, it was the second time I had been there. The first time I was with a friend. Um, we had come out west for uh, eight day vacation just to do some hiking and take some pictures. And we were, we decided to go to Mount Rushmore on a whim, and it was like eight or ten hour drive from where we had been <laughs> been staying, and we're we're like, oh man, this better be fucking worth it. Right. This just better. So we got there four in the morning. You can't see it. We find a hotel. We wake up early, like four hours later the next morning, because we got to drive back the next day oh, to where we were, uh, where we started from. And we walk up to it. Maybe you had the same experience. You're like, this better be worth it. Yeah. And then you look at it and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. It's a fucking carved mountain. It's a it's huge. It's massively yes. impressive. It really is. And Did we, you watch the how the how did, yeah. how they made it? Yeah, the, the dynamite and the... Amazing. Oh, well. And, and we left there with, for our nine or eight or nine hour drive back and, and we were like, yeah, that was worth it. Yeah, it's, it doesn't it. seem like it. To, to like, why would I drive all the time? Yeah. But you're right. You do get out there, and I didn't really realize too. But like, all the rubble is still piled yeah. up right there, and you get yeah. to see. Dang, they removed a lot of rock yeah. off of that thing. Um, yeah, it's 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 definitely pretty cool. You, I think you get tricked into not thinking at it. It is impressive as it is because you see pictures. Yeah. Which don't have the depth and the, the they don't do the justice, and then you see like carved trinkets and stuff. Well, you know and you what think else it's I like? cheesy and it's not. Yeah, you know what else I like about it though is how audacious it is. Yeah, it's like what can you think of in our lifetime where somebody did something? You know, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of amazing things, but I'm just trying to think that was unique, different, yeah. ballsy. You know, big risk taking. <clears throat> 
It's just, yeah. it's kind of cool that somebody's like, I'm going to put some heads yeah. on that mountain. I'm going to carve a mountain. <laughs> yeah. Right. Found the mountain, figured out how to do it, like made the mountain actually look like the people they were trying to carve. Yeah. It wasn't just some... And didn't blow a nose off or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, can you imagine? Like, oh, if man. Somebody... Well, anyway. <laughs> Put a chisel in the wrong spot there. Uh, so are you keeping a diary? Are you blogging about this? Are you thinking uh, about... I do have a website. Uh, it's runningtheparks.com. Okay. And there is some, some written word there. There are videos from the parks because I tend to run with my GoPro. And so I'll take video and, and make... Uh, a little movie at the uh, when I get back. There's a lot of photos, so I take a lot of pictures. So there are there's a page on the website with pictures from all the 51 national parks I've been to to this point. So if you're interested in seeing what it'd be like to go to to one of the parks, you can you can take a look there. Um, and I'm also just for fun writing a haiku for every national park. <laughs> so funny. I don't I don't write creatively as much as as I should. And I just came up with the idea that, well, that would be fun. Yeah. Like write, write a little, it's short, but they're remarkably hard to write yeah. <laughs> and uh, to feel good about. And so I'm, I'm about halfway through the parks oh, with cool. haikus. Um, what, uh, have you thought about writing a book? I, people ask me that a lot. And the, the answer is yes, but I struggle with, knowing what to write about. Yeah. Now I could do a top 10 national parks for trail running or, you know, top 10 trails or how to run a marathon and every like technically run a marathon in the national parks. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't grab me. Yeah. Um, I'm not to say that I won't do it and not to say that I don't think it's actually would be really helpful and might be fun to do. Yeah. Um, it, I just, it just haven't. What, uh, I don't know if this relates or not. I know my dog is making a ton of noise. I thought that was you at first. No. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, no. <laughs> That's the dog. That's the dog um, chewing on your house. Uh, probably. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time. Um, what's, what's been something you've learned about yourself in this whole process? Um, I guess there, there are two things that I think maybe people could to take away. Um, the first one is... That if you're breaking away and trying to do make some change in your life, um, and you finally get to the point where you you actually do it, um, don't think that your the impact on you is going to be instantaneous. So I thought, here I am. I've set myself up financially to do this project. I roughly know my plan. I can know where I'm going to stay. You know, I've got the the, the car and okay, the gear. Like everything's the plan. I'm a planner. That was my profession for a long, long time. And um, I figured after the first month, it would be like, oh, I'm on, I'm on a holiday. I'm in these beautiful places. This is great. And it it didn't happen. Hmm. What happened was I continued to run it like a project, hmm. like a like a corporate job. Hmm. And I was still stressed about posting videos and posting blog posts and doing pictures and and you know overly structuring my activities so that um, it it was still stressful in a way. Yeah. It was self-imposed stress. It took about 6 to 7 months. And after about six or seven months, wow. I kind of went, ah, okay, now, now I'm, I'm, everything's fine. I'm not stressed about the next thing. I don't have to book 
two or three hostels or campgrounds out. I can just take it as it comes and be a little bit more flexible and relaxed about it. And it, it took a while. So I, and I've told other people that if you're going to do some change, do some sort of life adventure and you expect it to happen instantaneously, it's, it might take a while to counteract years of corporate sort of stress and conditioning that's yeah. a good word very yeah. good word yeah so it, was any of this midlife crisis for you because you're how old are you 46 46 which by the way you look like i mean you could probably pass as like a 20 something <laughs> i mean you're you're vegan yeah and you're obviously in good shape you've been running yeah so um yeah you you've got some range there <laughs> yeah well um good genes maybe too i don't know I, I don't know. I think, uh, honestly, we, we could go down the whole nutrition rabbit hole. I, I started to, just, just briefly, I started to be vegan for performance reasons. Not save the planet, not save the animals, nothing like that. Performance for the It was for, for running. running. Yeah. Okay. I just, I did a little research and I did, I don't mind experimenting on myself. And so I, I thought I would uh, uh, try this vegan thing after reading some books about it. And I just felt better. My energy was better. My digestion was better. And I recovered faster. That was the one that I had read about that I never believed. I thought that was bullshit. When, so how soon before you started running the marathons did you become vegan? I've been vegan about seven or eight years now. Okay. So this was way before the project. This was just for your own trail running? Yeah, this was my, just for my own running. And um, that whole, you read the story of... Before you became vegan, if you would run, do a hard workout, it might take you three days or four days to recover from it. And then you become vegan and it takes one day mm. or maybe don't, no days, like the very next day you're ready to go again. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's bullshit. How, mm-hmm. how can that happen? Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't, that just goes beyond, against all, everything I know. Mm-hmm. And it happened to me. Like I just ran a marathon at ten, between 10 and 13,000 feet on gnarly trails in Colorado on Saturday, and I ran again on Sunday at another trail at 12,000 feet, and I'm ready to run a marathon. Actually, I was ready on Wednesday Hmm. to go again. Wow. And I raced the run on Saturday, so that was more effort than just kind of having a nice time running through the mountains. This Mm -hmm. was an actual race. The last two miles of that race... Granted, they were downhill and they were on pavement because they came back into the town of Leadville, but I did a 731 and a 636 mile for the last two miles of the marathon. So, um, you know, I raced that. Um, uh, So, and I was ready to go three days later, four days later. Yeah. Uh, And I attribute that all to diet. So, again, we could go down that whole thing, but I would would never have believed it had I not experienced it myself. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I have I have friends that are vegan, and, and I've toyed with the idea of it. I mean, I, I like meat, and I like the taste of it, and I like and whatever, but but energy level, like I all the vegans I know, first of all, like your skin looks great. Yeah. I think a lot of that probably is dietary yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, energy levels. Like that to me, especially, you know, mm-hmm. the older you get right. um, and the longevity that comes with that is very appealing. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind going down the rabbit hole a little bit I, if you're willing to do it. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with people if they want to eat meat. Like it's not uh, I, I don't think it's necessary. But if somebody wants to eat it, fine. It's not the meat itself necessarily. It's the quantity 
or it is the meat too, right? It's, there's a lot of stuff in it that's not particularly healthy for you longev long, longevity-wise. But uh, it's when you have egg, eggs and bacon for the breakfast, and you have a chicken salad sandwich for lunch, and then you have a chicken breast for dinner. It's just too much. Mm -hmm. Like there's, You're taking room um, away from your diet that other more um, beneficial things could be. Mm -hmm. And sure, all of that tastes good. Like I, I grew up, my dad worked for a meat company. I, I ate steak grown up three to four times a week. Where did you grow up? Delaware. Okay. So we, we ate steak, hamburger, were chicken. You, were you bigger no, growing up or no, no. you've always been pretty thin? Yeah. Okay. No, well, I was heavier, but not heavy. Not, right. Not overweight. Really. Right. Um, and, but, uh, so meat, I ate meat, meat all the time. Like I was the meat guy, right? I loved <laughs> eggs and... And uh, I just, when I cut it out, I felt better. And so it just, there's no interest to go back. How long did it take you to, to feel sort better? of transition into A couple into that? weeks. Yeah. Well, plus it was... Was it hard? A, did, I mean, was, was it a challenge uh, to stick to it or just... Not for me. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is hard for some people is giving up dairy. Um, I think everybody should be afflicted with lactose intolerance once in their life. That'd be how quick, see how quickly you'll give up dairy. Mm. Like, so I'm lactose intolerant, and so I haven't had dairy since in our late 20s, when I was in my late 20s. So I thought you meant the 1920s. In the 1920s. Yes, <laughs> back in the roaring 20s, when dairy was different than it is today. Um, you know, I'm not that old, but no. Uh, I developed it in, right out of college, and just, yeah, you, you don't eat it anymore, because yeah. it makes you feel horrible. Yeah. Um, and then just, but I ate a lot of meat, and I finally just... I said, I'm going to try this. It was an experiment. So I was going to do it regardless. I'm going to say, I'm going to give this a month. And you can be a junk food vegan. Oreos are vegan. Coca-Cola is vegan. Like right. You can eat McDonald's French fries all the time. That doesn't make you healthy. Mm -hmm. So the goal shouldn't be um, weight loss necessarily. It should be health. And if you eat healthier in general, more fruits and vegetables in your diet, um, you'll just feel better. And then that should reinforce the practice of continuing to eat um, healthier and healthier. Yeah. Um, and then a byproduct of that is more energy, you know, better digestion, better, th clearer thinking, and you'll lose weight. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's a so, natural byproduct. It just it just happens. So you have to give yourself enough time. It's kind of like what I talked about the the sort of stress transition from a corporate job is you have to give your body a physical time to transition from one way of eating to another way of eating. Mm -hmm. I, I don't consider it, I don't eat a vegan diet. I don't eat a plant-based diet. I just, that's the way I eat. Like, I don't like the word diet because diet in, the, in our vernacular now these days, it's, it's implied as being temporary. Mm -hmm. And it's not. You should just eat this way. Or better. It's a really good point because you're really talking about a lifestyle, a lifestyle choice, and yeah. and, and an identity. Like, what yeah. Do you so yeah, that's true. I I my personal opinion is I try to also shy away from the word lifestyle because and and I know that that's hard, um, but that's just sort of my choice. Like, you can still be a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer. You can still be a father, a pastor. You know, you can be uh, a rodeo clown. You could do all that. You can be a classical musician. You could play the guitar on the side in a rock band. All these sort of lifes. You could live in the mountains. You could live in. 
you could do all of that, eating meat or eating not eating meat. Yeah. That I don't see. I don't try to make as close a link between quote lifestyle and the way you eat as a lot of people do. Yeah. And I think if we could break that apart a little bit, if one day you ate um, eggs and bacon in the morning and a steak at night, and the next day going forward in your life you ate oatmeal in the morning and rice and beans at night, you haven't changed your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about your lifestyle that's changed. You may still drink a case of beer at night. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. But you have changed the way you eat. I think of it in terms of, of like very black and white, mm-hmm. very simply stated, health versus just not, not health. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I think of it as a, a lifestyle choice to commit to health and longevity. And, you could look at it that way for sure. And, and yeah. physical activity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've yet to meet a... <clears throat> Fat vegan. I mean, no. Right. Technically, you could be uh, I've eating met French some, fries and stuff like that. But. I've met some that are not not as healthy as okay. they could be. Yeah. So they're not they're not obese. Yeah. Because it, it, unless you're eating French fries all the time, it actually can be it can be hard to be obese as a vegan. But right. it can surely you can be overweight if you eat a lot of junk food, a yeah. lot of processed foods. Um, but yeah, sort of working working towards health should always be the goal. And you mentioned exercise and movement. That's definitely important in, a, in a, the grand scheme of things. But there's also the phrase that you can't exercise away from a bad diet. Mm-hmm. So that is not the only reason, but it's surely one of the reasons why we see professional sports uh, athletes that are ripped when they're, work, when they're you know, in their sport. And then they balloon up yeah. when they don't. Well... If they're eating exactly the same, but they're not exercising, right? Now, now they're they can't run away from that. Like the exercise is, was counteracting it, but it won't anymore. Yeah. So you got to change your diet. Your diet wasn't the best. You can imagine how much better they would be with a better diet. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway. Um. So going back to the yeah. the national parks, what um, just out of curiosity, what would you say is like the most underrated national park? Are there um, ones? Maybe everybody's. Not everybody, but a lot of people know of you know Yosemite. And oh, I got I got a ton. My favorites are in the okay. not the not known list. What are some of those? Let's hear that. Um, one of my favorites is Lassen Volcanic National Park in California. It's uh, sort of northernish California. Didn't even know they had volcanoes in California. Uh, it's uh, kind of a suburb of Yellowstone. Like Yellowstone is a super volcano. That's true. Okay. Right. So, but Lassen. But I still Vol- think of that is further east than. Right. Lassen, Lassen Volcanic is um, is still active. They have thermal features like Yellowstone, bubbling mud pots, sulfur pools, small geysers. It's one of the few places in the world where you can see all vo- all four volcano types within the boundaries of the park. What are the different? Are you knew you're going to ask me that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shield. Uh, Cone, um, and two others that I can't remember. Cone is the, the traditional one that we all think of, the Hawaii-type yeah. volcano. So what is what is a shield volcano? They're just the way they're they're formed. Okay. You know, I, I, when I've been to Yellowstone and I, you know, you see the bubbling yeah. mud pits or whatever, and you see. Um, uh, so that's interesting. I didn't even know. That. Yeah, still, still, it's active, active volcanic. They expect that one of the the volcanoes there that sort of looks more typical of a volcano, you look at, oh, that's a volcano, yeah. will actually erupt within a reasonable amount of time. I mean, they're talking you about know? that for Yellowstone too, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a little insane. So, 
So that's a that's a great park. Yeah, I mean, so why though? It's uh, because you can see all the volcanoes. It's not as busy as some of the more well-known parks. Uh, just really cool geological features. Like they have this thing called the fantastic lava beds mm. where at some time in the past, the eruption created these vast kind of beds of lava that are not, um, that are fairly deep and complex. And it's just, and then, and then, uh, you know, so that's one thing. And then there's a cinder cone volcano, which is, uh, you can run on or you can climb up to the top and it's, looks kind of like an inverted beehive. It's very, very, very cool. Hmm. Um, so stuff like that that you just don't see other places, mm-hmm. even in Yellowstone. They, yeah. don't have, they don't have actual, if I remember correctly, like a volcano. Like the volcano's underneath. Right. And it forces all the water up, and that's what you get the geysers. Um, so Lassen Volcanic was great. Um, uh, Kings Canyon National Park, also in California. So people know Sequoia National Park. Yep. Sequoia and Kings Canyon are... are uh, Combined, they're actually they're not. It's not. It's actually technically two national parks, but they're one piece of land. Okay. Um, and to get from one to the other is a fairly. It's kind of a long drive, or it can be a long, twisty, windy drive. And so most people go to Sequoia because they can see the big trees, and they, they skip Kings Canyon. Kings Canyon is, is it, spectacular. Is it north of the Sequoia Park? It's uh, if I'm if I remember correctly, Sequoia is the east part of it, and Kings Canyon is the west part of it. Okay, because I I went on this sort of epic road trip back in 2003 and we came down from Oregon south and I think we went through there because we went through yeah. that wide unfreaking believable yeah. I mean it's a it's a hike to get out there yeah. and it's all it's another one of those things like ah, am I really going to go yeah, yeah. all the way out there? right do it it yeah. was so amazing Kings Canyon is is spectacular so amazing you know? um, and then uh, Theodore Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota okay uh, it's just really, again, geographically interesting, uh, canyons, colorful, um, p- painted kind of rock. They have a uh, wild buffalo herd just roaming around the park. Uh, pronghorn, which is an antelope, which I'd never seen a pronghorn before. Mm-hmm. Um, bighorn sheep, uh, not a lot of people, <laughs> which is also another reason to go. There's so many of these open, unspoiled places that because they're not, quote, the popular ones people don't go to, but mm. that makes them no less impressive. Yeah. It's just maybe a little harder to get to. Sure. Uh, I, when I was running the marathon there, I had to run around Buffalo twice. I was going to ask you, have you run into any danger? Have, have you had any... No, knock on wood right. that I don't trip and fall running around the arch tomorrow. Right. <laughs> uh, I have not had any major... Um, threats or challenges to not even challenges i mean have you had like what's been your biggest challenge in this whole thing uh loneliness Mm. uh otherwise on the runs itself or just the whole in general in general i just Uh, read an article the other day that said americans are the loneliest we've ever been (laughs) well if you're in a subaru by yourself putting forty-five thousand miles on your car in a year running around the national parks that that can be a little lonely. There's, yeah, um, there's probably not too many people to play with. I, no, I no, and you're, you're only in one place five days right, a week. Right, of course. So, and, and often they're very remote places. So right. there just aren't anybody around. There's yeah. nobody around. Uh, so, but t- on, the, on the running side of things, um, the only real, I guess the only real problem that I had of any significance um, was 
there was challenges here and there navigating and things, but I, I pulled a, a weird one. I've never done this in my life until that time, but at Lassen Volcanic, I pulled a groin muscle. Mm, not fun. Weird. Like, who run, runners do you know that point a, pull a groin muscle? Like, you, you talk to people that twist, play basketball, football, things like that, where you could pull a muscle stepping and turning the wrong way. Uh, I, I think it was because part of that run was in this, like, fine volcanic sand, mm. so that trail was actually sandy and i think i just must have planted and turned funny and pulled it but i did it nine miles away from the car oh gosh so i and i and i managed to to, it hurt like a bitch yeah like it was not this was not an insignificant strain Mm -hmm. and uh i figured out that i could get into this like 11 minute 15 second per mile shuffle like kind of the old man shuffle. So normally I'd probably be doing nine and a half or tens, you know, maybe a little faster, depending on the terrain. Mm-hmm. So I was just like shuffling. Because anytime I would extend my leg back, it would pull on the groin and that would be mm-hmm. painful. Um, I got all the way back to the car. And by the time I, I, I cut, I have the map, always have the map with you. Be safe. Take your safety gear with you. I had a whole pack full of what I needed to take and my water and everything. But So I looked at the map. I took a shortcut back. But by the time I got back to the car, I'd still clicked 20 miles. Wow. So here I am with a groin that was paining me. I'm back at the car, and I'm 20 miles in to only needing 26. And so I was like, fuck it. I just gutted it out. I just gutted it out. I mean, it took a long time. Right. But... I and said, nobody's watching you. you nobody's be, watching you me. You could have easily no, said, uh, close I'd enough. Have, I'd have had to come back, though. That was the pisser. Like You would have known. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, sure. You know, and But I would have had to, if I would have gone on to someone else's, my friends in Sacramento or near Sacramento, I was going to go to their house for a, a little bit and then continue on. I said, I could just go, but then I'd have to go back and... I'll just, I'll just fucking gut it out. I'll just, just six, six more miles. That's I mean, I've done 20, and the groin injury happened 11, you know, miles ago. Yeah. Why? Just just do it. Yeah. Um, but, but that was the toughest thing. So it was never like I was seriously injured to the point that I didn't think I was going to make it back to the car, have to sleep in the bivvy. I could yeah. carry an emergency bivvy with me. It was just, this is, this, this is not an insignificant pain, right? This hurts. So... Um, I've been, I've been lucky on that respect. Um, you probably have a lot to, to teach the average person about perseverance. I mean, that kind of, that level of perseverance and commitment to a higher, you know, goal, uh, is something that I I think a lot of us could, could use some inspiration. (laughs) Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I don't, I guess I'm, um, I mean, do you, do you feel, do you take that on at all? Do you like, do you realize that what you're doing is, is certainly unconventional and like, you know, like you said at the beginning, it's yeah. never been done before. Right. Um, you're overcoming some pretty significant human con- limitations. Um, how long did it take you to recover on the, on the groin? Where you- well, it, the, and not to go back to the, to the diet thing, but I think it was related to diet. It took a week. Hmm. I ran another marathon the next week, and that may, may make people go, oh, what kind of groin pull muscle injury was it if you could run a marathon the very next week? And I tell you what, it was, I couldn't, it hurt to walk. It was not, this was the worst muscle pull I've had in my life. And I rested it, I iced it, 
at my friend's house for a week and went on and did the next one. So. See, I, like I, to me, that I think one of the bigger stories in this is the mm-hmm. longevity of the longevity. It's yeah. the, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's the marathon of the marathon. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I, I, I can't remember his name, but the guy that ran 50 marathons in 50 days or whatever it was. Like, that's a sprint, you know. Yeah. And I, I, don't give me, like, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm just saying it's different. <laughs> right. So for you to be able to consistently stay healthy is pretty remarkable yeah. uh, in and of itself. So um, anyway, I'm, you know, you're still in it. You're getting close. Do you have any, you know, what are you going to do once you finish the last one? Do you have any sense of celebration yeah. or? I don't know when that's going to be or where yet. So you haven't again, decided which it's going to be in Alaska. It's though, going right? to be in Alaska, likely. Uh, yeah, there are so there are eight national parks there. Alaska is its own animal. Um, it it has a lot of logistical challenges and monetary challenges that it didn't have in the lower forty eight. Four to five of the national parks up there, you need a bush plane to get to, mm. and they don't have established trails or roads. So you would be flown in with all your all your gear, and then the plane leaves. And then I would have to figure out a 26.2 mile route, whether that's an out and back or a point to point Mm. where I could go preferably with other people, also preferably with a guide or someone who knows how to live and and traverse that kind of that. Yeah, the bears is run with bear spray um, and then have the plane come and get you and then take you back. The, The bush plane flights can be a thousand each. And you need two. You need one to get to drop you off and then one to come back and get you. Mm-hmm. And if you have five parks that you need a bush plane flight for, so there's 10 grand just in bush plane flights. Mm-hmm. And I'm not there yet. So the flight or the drive to get there, living, you know, being in Alaska, like lodging if you're just camping is not expensive, but food's expensive, fuel's expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I did a marathon a week, the same cadence that I did the lower 48, that's, that's two months solid. And then a week to two weeks on the front end and the back end just to for transit or just to for some buffer. Yeah. That's a three month trip. So I'm estimating wow. a three month trip could be fifteen to eighteen grand. Mm. Hence Alaska being last. Yeah. That's hence a- Alaska being last. And I was thinking maybe if some stars aligned that I would do two or three of the parks that I could drive to this summer. Fly up, rent a beater car drive to the park, run the marathon, drive to another, run it, come back. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. Would, I mean, I was half kidding about the bear issue, but I mean, the, the, you're out in the, yeah. the kind I mean, there's like nobody there to, there's no, there's no safety net there. Uh, no. do you feel like you'd be any further out, so to speak, than you have been in some of these other parks? Like, For sure. Really? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh the, the Alaskan parks are a whole different, yeah, I've not had to fly other than Hawaii. I haven't had to fly to any of the national parks. Okay. And there's a ranger station close by. There's, uh, I ha- would carry for some of the, for most of the, the parks, I would carry a spot three, spot gen three GPS safety beacon. So it's, uh, basically a one-way communicator to alert people if you need help okay. and you pay for a service and that provides that, that capability and they will actually facilitate your rescue if it's a true emergency. But even in Alaska, even if that works, it may take days right. for them to come and rescue you, yeah. you know, figure out where you are. Can they land a plane there, fly in with the gear, get to you, get you out, fly, you know, that, that is not an instantaneous thing. And yeah. so the, the true 
remoteness and skill set needed for something like that is beyond my capabilities right now. Gotcha. So in addition to preparing for that, I just said I would want to have more people with me. I'm yeah. not going to do that alone. Yeah. So okay. whether I do a 13-mile out and back and someone manages our camp, so we have somebody there, we have thir- you know other runners with me, um, it's to it's a... It's a, it's a pretty effort. logistical issue. That's a tough one. Yeah. It's a combination of logistical challenge and but you can't not do it. <laughs> oh no, it's on. It's I would love to go next summer. Okay. I mean, save if I can save the money over the over the winter, and that's the other thing with Alaska is you have a very short weather window. Mm-hmm. It's June, July, August. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little in May, unlikely, and maybe a little bit in September, also mm-hmm. potentially unlikely because the snows come in. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, wow. we'll, we'll see about that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, what are What are some of the other um, other surprising things that you've run into, or things that you might have tips? Or you know, I'm just thinking all the travel that you've done, all the logistical stuff. Um, you know, maybe some some travel tips or. It's funny. I don't think all of that stuff's that hard. But that's see, that's the planner in you. Well, you're you're, you're a you know <laughs> I think the harder part is making the is taking the the step to do the the activity. To yeah, make, fair to, enough. To make the to make the change. Um, so, I'm I'm thinking about I've been working on it, so it's a little bit more than thinking about taking this experience and doing kind of what you're implying, which is help other people mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, introduce more adventure into their life. So mm-hmm. I don't have my my um, content but I have a rough process for becoming a what I call a life adventure coach and I actually have lifeadventurecoach.com could you believe that was available that's a good sign don't yeah. you think yeah and I like that idea the idea is how do you bring more adventure into your life in a way that helps you embrace change or more change in your life and um, helps you sort of grow into what you could actually do, you know, do more of, right? It doesn't have to be taking a month, a year off and running. It could be skydiving. It could be, you know, simple, something is like painting even something that, that you've not considered doing for a number of reasons and, but would bring such a, a level of, of growth and joy into your life that it would be worth trying. So well, I, uh, there's something to the nature side of it too. I think, yeah. um, especially coming from in New York, right? But you know, even even here in the Midwest, God, we are so locked into a monotonous Groundhog Day, you know, <laughs> and we're addicted to to technology, and our minds are constantly going. And there's something about just getting out of nature that is an antidote to that, that you kind of, um, reconnect to who you are. And, uh, you know, I, I did this, um, survival, uh, training, outdoor survival training. Do you know who Tom Brown is? He's got, uh, he wrote a book called the tracker. And hmm. anyway, I was reading a book and, and the guy mentioned it. I was like, Oh, that sounds pretty interesting. But this guy grew up with, um, with a lot of uh, Native American mentoring. And so he's learned the ways of the Native American and now he teaches other people how to do it. So just getting out there and connecting to, you know, it sounds a little bit woo-woo. He's Mm. talking about connecting to animals and the spirit. The Native Americans talk about the spirit within all things or whatever. 
But when you get out there and you connect to it and you feel that, and you're like, yeah. damn, like this is all of the it the modern world just seems like a game like I don't know how to explain it, but it's just you kind of remember who you are. And we get distracted in our in our modern life. I love a lot of the modern lifestyle, yeah, but yeah, um, I'm I was there. I mean, part of the reason that this project was appealing to me is because it got me out into nature. Mm-hmm. And I, I I tell people that I think nature does two things for you: it actually relaxes you and energizes you at the same time. Oh, that's a great point. So you yeah. ever walk, and then and there are cultures, particularly in Japan, but there are other places that are talking about forest bathing, where you know there doctors are actually prescribing people to go and spend time in nature. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So it's what they call the, the the Japanese translation is forest bathing. I like it. And you go out and you just walk, yeah. and you just it's not a an athletic ability or endeavor. It's just being out in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're walking to a, get out of your car and you're like, oh, this sucks. I've been in a car for 12 hours. And you walk into the woods and you're just like, ah. Yeah. But you don't get tired. Like you're like, ah, like I want to be here. Or mm-hmm. this is, something has lifted me up as well as relaxed me at the same time. And so I feel that when I go out into nature. Yeah. You know, we, uh, one of the things that, that, uh, this guy, Tom Brown shared with us is this idea of the native Americans called it. I, I don't know if it's the native Americans, but he called it at the mm-hmm. very least wide angle vision. He said that, you know, the white man had tunnel vision and yeah. the white man looks at a mountain range and he sees the tip of the, the top of the mountain yeah. because this is narrowly focused in on it. Whereas the Native American experiences the valley and the mountain range and the eagle flying over and the <laughs> dew on his skin. It's like yeah. this whole thing. And so he was teaching us how to connect to all things and and this whole idea of wide angle vision. And so then, you know, he has this incredible lecture. But oh, but he was talking about how in the modern lifestyle, you're in your house, then you get in your car, yeah. and then you go to a cubicle at work. You're constantly confined. Yeah. Even if you're out on a drive and you're seeing beautiful country. It's very different than when you get out there. You're disconnected from it. Totally. Yeah. I did a, a four-day sort of retreat with some guys, and it was a lot of it was survival-based and mm-hmm. you know building shelters and all that. But just being outside at night, yeah. uh, uh, spending the night outside alone, there's another part of you. It taps into sort of that primal side of you, which is not less conscious. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost you're yeah. more in tune with your place in the world it's it's um it's a you know it can be a spiritual experience but sounds like i found my alaskan guide (laughs) yeah you heard it here first folks (laughs) i'm down i'll i'll do it we'll you know we'll do we'll do a podcast from the bush yeah yeah yeah. well you'll you'll be uh you'll be the navigator and the you have to get in some running shape, I think, if you want to run a marathon. Are or you saying I'm just, in running you shape? You can manage the camp. As I've already confessed yeah, that yeah. I lost my breath going up the stairs. <laughs> well, they're pretty steep stairs. I've seen them. That's, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll let you slide steep. on that one. And the elevation, once you get up there, it starts to... Oh, it's so much considerably less, higher. Less oxygen, you know, yeah. at the top of the stairs. Is Thank there. you. <laughs> Thank you for your understanding. No, I'd, get, I'd do it. I'd get into shape. I'd figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I'd be down for it. I used to play soccer back in the day, and we had a crazy coach... Uh, that just ran us into the ground. See, that's why people don't like running. So for I didn't start running till I was 33. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. No running in high school, no running in college. I didn't play sports. Uh, I worked, you know, 20 to 30 hours a week all through college and in half of high school, actually. So uh, that was sort of my sport. 
Um, I was living in Detroit at the time when I was 33. I thought, um, I want to get in better shape. Let me try this running a thing again, which I always hated. Like I played tennis with some with some um, dedication, but not on not perf- not on a team, not organized. And and it's like short stop sprinty kind of running. It's not uh, like sustained distance running. But I and I always hated it. And so I thought, you know, I'll mark off of the bucket list, run a marathon. You know, I have it on the bucket list. And you know, if Oprah can run a marathon, I should be able to run a marathon. <laughs> And I got a help, had a friend that, that helped me with a plan, and I followed the plan to the letter, and I ran a marathon. And once I finished it, I went, A, I like how I felt while I was running. Um, B, I like what it did to my body. And C, I thought, oh, I can do so much better than that. Hmm. Like, I finished the marathon and went, that was like the first, the first this is the competitive side, right? I can do better than that. Hmm. And so... I stuck with it. So well, I, so that brings me up to one of my final questions here, which is what next? You're going <laughs> to check check off Alaska, and then what are you going to do? You're just going to oh, go back I and... I don't know. And you can't. You can't. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, at this point, you've, you've I know. started an animal here. That i got to <laughs> figure out some other, some other uh, activity. There are a lot of races out there yeah. that would be fun to do. I, I still haven't done a 100-mile race, so that's on my my list of things to do have you have you done adventure racing i haven't done any adventure racing it actually doesn't it's funny enough that doesn't interest me um maybe it would if i tried it it's one of those things but have you seen the i don't know if it's a discovery or whatever but the the four guys that go over for an entire week and you're up in the mountains yeah it's yeah it's a lot of um uh the adventure racing is a is really it's a different skill set yeah like you're racing but it's not running like it's 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 like i'm I may, uh, I don't know a lot about it, but I do know it's a lot of navigation. It's a ton of navigation. So if you can't navigate, it doesn't matter how good a runner you are. Right. Um, and if you can navigate, then you don't have to move that fast. <laughs> so you just have to be consistent. Yeah. It's, it is a totally different skill it's set. And lot. you're doing it with other people too. Other so. people and you're off, it's often multi-sport. Yep. So you run for a while and then you kayak for a while. Yep. And like, I don't know, just... I'm a land guy. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. But you know. So you don't know what's next? Not keep, yet. Keep that open for now. I haven't finished I haven't finished Alaska yet, so let's let's finish that. And, yeah, that's a pretty big hurdle. It's a big one. It's not an insignificant uh, piece of this whole project. You think you know, driving around the US was hard. It, in in uh, comparison I think Alaska is gonna be much, much more difficult. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> it's way the heck up there. Uh, and talking with a lot of people that have been there, they all Without without making it sound like hyperbole, they all agree that it's definitely way different than down here. Yes, I've been up there. Yeah, we did so some fishing up there, and it's there you go. Yeah, it's it's way the heck up there. Yeah. And we took a, a puddle jumper, and mm-hmm. you get up there and you go, damn. Yeah. Like the mountain ranges, it's there's nothing that for you. There's there's no deve- you know stereotypical development. Right. 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 It's just nature it's a lot of land and a lot of a lot of nature yeah nobody's coming to get you um well bill this has been a fascinating conversation i appreciate you taking the time hope so sharing uh the journey i know you got to get your beauty sleep here and be ready for running laps around the arch tomorrow yeah thank goodness you don't have a typical uh i was telling you earlier typical st louis summer weather you get 70 degree to weather tomorrow so you you lucked out usually it's 
100% humidity <laughs> and 100 degrees. So Yeah, it should be good. I've you got, have no uh, water weight to lose. A number, yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, I do like beer, so... Um, <laughs> And I have some people joining me, so it should be should be a fun fun day. Good deal. What's the website again? It's uh, runningtheparks.com. Okay, runningtheparks.com. I think you know if anybody that's listening to this has any connections to Alaska, would you be open to? I mean, oh, absolutely. It yeah. Sounds like there's some there's uh, some logistics that need to be addressed there, and you can reach out to me uh, through the website. In, um, most I'm most active on Instagram. Because I do a lot of photography, little photos and small videos. And so uh, the handle there is running the parks. So people can connect there, send me a direct message, um, uh, and hopefully join me in yeah. Alaska. Or wherever else. If you live in Colorado, come out for a run there because I'm, I'm based in Denver now. Gotcha. Good stuff, man. Well, thanks again and uh, good luck. Thanks so much. I appreciate the time. Excellent.